international anthem. A record label embodied by community. A community of artists, musicians, and cultural producers dedicated to their craft. Born in Chicago and proudly sprouting from the city's creative musical traditions, the community has grown into a global network of like-minded contributors true to the label's name. I'm Ayana Contreras, and in this program, we'll be diving deep into the albums of International Anthem, in conversation with the creators, coloring the context, sharing the more intimate stories, and celebrating the humanity that's inherent in what you hear. Stay tuned. Six Hundred Six Records is an independent and community-based record store located in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. With an accessible storefront and online shop, Six Hundred Six buys and sells both new and used vinyl records, with a focus on smaller indie artists and record labels. As Chicago eases COVID restrictions, more in-store events, including record releases, signings, and live performances will be found within their unique space. Find 606 Records on the socials, at 606 Records, or visit 606records.com for the newest and truest underground music. Welcome to the International Anthem Podcast. I'm your host, Ayana Contreras. When I sat down with composer, band leader, and fascinating human being, Angel Bath of Weed, one of the things that unfolded before me was a literal dictionary, a glossary, if you will, of terms that help guide her life. Among them, the idea of the hush harbor, the idea of people being databases and the idea of creating your own mythology. But perhaps my biggest takeaway was how she embraces what she has to create the world she wants to see. things that I really wanted to start talking about is sort of your origin story because you're kind of like a superhero. People are like, well, where did she come from? What is her story? And I think your backstory is so much about who you are now. I mean, would you agree with that? You know, the thing about it is, it's like, I hear what people are saying, like, where did I come from? But I've always been here. Like, I, it ne- just because I wasn't in, like, certain people's view, I've always been on the stage since I was a little girl. Like, I've, I've always been on tour. I've always been doing music, you know. It's just that I think, you know, now more people know about it, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't not. I've been here the whole time. That's right. You know, so I know it kind of feels like that for most people to be on an international level, but, you know, I was traveling you know, by myself 
doing music. Like I, I went to China when I was in uh, college, you know, we toured to raise money for the school. You know, so like I've been traveling, I've been touring. Um, this this is just a different iteration of what I, a continuation of where I'm supposed to be. Like I, I don't feel like a, a, a superhero. I feel like, no, this is exactly where I should be as a person who's been pursuing music her whole life. Like this makes sense. Like I've been dedicated, I've been studying, I've been doing the work, I've taken the small jobs, I've taken the big jobs, I've I've sacrificed, you know, like it I should be where I'm at right now. Like this makes sense to me. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. No, I think you definitely have done the work, but I think that's the part that I don't know that people necessarily know that part of your story. Yeah, and and I think that's how it feels probably like for for most musicians, you know, like we are we're stories. We didn't just pop up out of nowhere. We, uh, the music that you hear from us, creatives, that everyone has like this mythology, you know. And um, myth is so important to me. That's why I really love Sun Ra because he always talks about being a myth science, you know. Like he created a whole nother mythology about himself, you know. He took it to another level. He's like, no, I am not Herman Blount from Alabama. I am Sun Ra from Saturn. He made his own mythology and. Um, I'm working on mine. Like my my mythology is shifting and changing into I guess the oracle. love the movie The Matrix. It changed my life. Like, I saw it my freshman year in college. I went by myself. And the character that I resonated the most with in that entire film was the Oracle, because it was this black woman. And she was chilling. Everybody else, like, fighting and all that, and they're all anxiety-ridden and da 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 The Matrix. And she's sitting up there chilling in her kitchen with all the knowledge on top of that. And so I was always intrigued by that character. And I think it kind of started resonating into my life um, in every part of my life, musically, creatively, philosophically, spiritually, until, you know, like I randomly, and then one of my friends used to always call me the Oracle. And so that's what I made my uh, Instagram, Angel the Oracle, because he named me that. And then it's like, I almost feel just like that right now in this time period like as chaotic as everything is with covid and all that kind of stuff there's just like this kind of peace where i feel exactly like her like i'm just chilling in my life and all these big wonderful things are happening around me but i'm really just like chilling <laughs> and enjoying the ride having such a great time yeah tell me a little bit about um sort of how you interpret and reinterpret and use like history and the energies in history in your work because when I met you I mean obviously you've been around but when I met you I feel like really really met you it was at the record store like Hyde Park Records and we connected over these like amazing items of black history mm. yeah there's a great film called The Last Angel in History 
there's so many puns and just that title alone because like the whole movie is about uh, you know being a data thief into this crossroads you'll find fragments techno fossils and if you can put those elements those fragments together you'll find the code crack that code and you'll have the keys to your future Basically, being a data thief is you're getting all this information from past, present, future, and you're piecing it together, which is the same way that I, I actually describe mythology. See, mythology and, and being a data thief has nothing to do with like whether something is true, false, good, or bad. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about gathering and collecting information um, and whatever information there is about the thing. Now, our judgment about that thing, that's all, that's a whole nother thing. But like gathering information about blackness is very important to me because ancestrally and like generationally, it was cut off from us to figure out who we are, where we came from, da 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 we're, we're new beings too because we're a mix of all sorts of different races, philosophies, and different ideas. And I feel like black people in America, we're really trying to get all the information that we can um, to piece together something. And so like working at the record store was like a treasure house. You know, Ayana, it was like Jet Ma And if y'all go there right now, if you go to High Park Records, you can buy a Jet magazine. Like that's so important to black history. Like everybody had, every black person, no matter in the country, had Jet coming to our house. That was the only way we got news about blackness. That's right. That's the only way we got news about ourselves. And there was no internet. <laughs> it was Jet. It was Ebony, you know? It was all those magazines um, are very iconic in the imagery of it all. Growing up, and I feel so blessed that I actually got to grow up in the last part of that era because it's not there anymore, you know? But we have to have those elements of the past so that we can see what's going on in the future. And so, like, a lot of my work is all based off of... Uh, this hush harbor there i'm gonna call it the hush harbor theory i'm i'm coining that right now because i've been studying hush harbors which are you know like they were those uh services you know that our ancestors would have in the middle of the night and they would have a service out there and it was in those services that you get the spirituals and the spirituals is all black music like hip-hop gospel jazz everything comes from the spirituals and so i've been like really really studying those ancient because there's there's some information in there and I've been conducting these hush harbors. Like when I do a show, that's a hush harbor. When you listen to the Oracle record, that's a hush har harbor. We're going into a service because my logic with this theory is if all of these people, when they're in their oppressive, most oppressive time, risk their lives to go into the woods and have a service, and out of that comes all this great black music, out of that, the, the, the world music that we know of today came from that. I just want to make, you know, we got to make that clear. The black music that you hear came from that. Now, if that came out of there, what's going to happen if we do Hush Harbors now? What kind of great black music are we going to have now? That's when people talk about this Afrofuturism. You know, like, if we don't start you know envisioning what our future is somebody else will and <laughs> look at the future that they have for us you watch star wars and what billy d williams is the only black person who's ever gonna be in the f what <laughs> so you've seen in these narratives <laughs> 
these narratives are not the ones that I want. And if we don't start using the past, the present, and starting putting together, that's how we determine what's going to happen next. We are, it's in our hands. Yeah. You know, speaking of taking things in, in your own hands, I'm thinking about sort of the process for putting out the Oracle um, and even putting out your latest work. I think your hands-on approach to getting the music to how you want it to be is maybe a little bit unique. Can you talk a little bit about your process? We're going to have to be more independent and not rely on somebody else to be able to do something that we can do. You know, um, no longer is it intimidating to think about recording. No longer is it intimidating to think, oh, I got to look at all these contracts and stuff. And I don't understand what they're saying, because if I don't understand something, I can just Google that shit. Sorry if I'm cursing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, all this stuff, like, all the stuff that might have been hard for our predecessors, you know, because they didn't have access to information, it's really easy for us. And so that leads to more independence in my artwork. So I, I didn't have the bread or the time to be going to the studio. I was working full time. So I was like, you know, I used what I had, which was my phone. And so I had already had a pass of knowing how to record because I was doing beats and doing hip hop. I've been doing all kinds of genres of music. And so it was like no thing for me to record. And I've always recorded myself since I was a little girl. Like for real, I always, I always had, my dad's a minister. So he would always be recording himself for his sermons and stuff. And so there was always recording equipment in my house and I was always overdubbing and doing shit so it felt like a natural process that like if I had a creative idea that I would just you know record all the parts and then I would had ensemble so I had new compositions and I knew time and how hard it is to get people together if I could send them like a little demo of of the piece and the you know and for those who couldn't read music they could hear it I know they'd be all right and so I just end up doing all the parts but this giving us more independence be able to to be strong and doing something on our own without have to rely on someone the elders they made it possible for us to be able to have this kind of like access to information anthem i was already really good friends with scotty mcneese because we were in a band together with gira <laughs> we're still to, you know we're still a band um and so you know he hit me up and say do you do you want to do an album with international anthem i was like yeah i would love that and he's like well do you have any songs or do you want to record some new stuff i was like you know i got all these joints on my phone he's like for real let me hear them i said to him i was nervous because i was like damn I don't want nobody judging my stuff. Like, I like the songs the way they are. I know it's not studio quality. I didn't want to hear any of that. <laughs> I was ready. Like, if somebody, I was like, nah. But it was like the exact opposite. You know, him and David hit me back, and they were like, yo, Angel, these are really cool. In fact, we're not even going to remix anything for you. We're just going to master it and put it out on tape. And I was like, for real? Okay, cool. And we had, like, the best meeting. Like, we all went together. We was in the park. 
we was in the park under a tree with like a few beers and they were like angel we really like how this is just the way it is and we're gonna put it out and i was like this is a dream come true because all i've ever wanted in life was for people to accept me as i am I got to change something different about me or do this. I can't stand that. Like, that plagued my life for years. The way I overcame just the anxiety of all that is, like, I just went deeper into who I am. I'm like, I'm me. And I'm going to do things and say things the way I want to say it. And if someone likes it, that's a wonderful and amazing thing. But if you don't, that's cool, too. You don't have to have everything together to do great work. You don't have to be like, oh, once I get that $50,000 or, or or once I get into the school that I need to, you don't need to, you can do stuff right now with very little resources. I, look at me. I just have my, and let me tell you, I was mixing that stuff with like stupid little headphones, like headphones, one end ain't working. <laughs> you know, I wanted to train, like, you know, going to and fro from work and really a lot of that stuff, like mixing I would do on, because I live in the burbs, you know, and a lot of mixing I was doing while I'm sitting on the train in transit. I don't have a car. I'm just, you know, I don't even have a driver's license. I'm just like real simple, like really, really simple. And it, I realized that you don't need a lot of things in order to be creative. You just need to be you and be yourself. And I think that's what the elders want us to know. And if we continue to do art that way, we are going to be all right. I will say that I think when you say we don't need much, I think you're minimizing how much you have. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's exactly, yeah, that's a better way to say it. That's definitely a better way to, to say it because it's not like you don't need much. You have more than enough for what you need to accomplish whatever you need. That is a definitely a better affirmation. I received that. That is a way better affirmation. I have more than enough of everything that I need to do whatever I choose to do in life. That is really it. So tell me something. Um, I know you've been all over the place. I've always loved to travel. What have been some of your most transformative trips that you've been on or even like extended stays? Yeah, well, I, my first ever biggest trip of all trips was when I was seven years old and my family and I, we moved to Kenya and we lived in Kenya for four years. I mean, like... It was magical. <laughs> it was magic. It was like Africa land. Like having, like growing, being a black little girl growing up in Africa. Let me tell you, it was magical. Magical. We had all kinds of fruit trees in our backyard. I could play outside all day. You know, no, we was in, I never wore shoes. What are shoes? No, 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 no. I was running outside barefoot getting all that good Africa Motherland, all up in my feet. So when we moved back to the States, it traumatized me. 
America traumatized me. I was an oddity. You know, I was going through my adolescence. I was like 12. It was horrible. You try to fit in. You try to be like people. You pick up habits, you know. But, like, my heart has always been towards the motherland. That's the land where we all came from. So, like, that experience was, like, the experience that I still dream about, you know. And it is my dream to live in Africa and, you know, have live all over the world, actually. Because, you know, I love Chicago, too. The second time I went to Africa wasn't until three years ago. I went to South Africa with my good friend, Victor. Victor Lee, for people mm-hmm. who are curious, who I is a wonderful cultural, like, commenter, historian, <laughs> visual artist, like, I don't know, leaping gnome. Like, you name yeah. what it is, is what he is. I had done an opera here in the city, and Victor was like, yo, I met this poetry ensemble from South Africa. They came here. He's like, I'm going to South Africa. What you about? I'm like... Dude, I just got my tax return. I'm going with you. <laughs> Let's go. And it was a blast. We didn't know what was going to happen. We was meeting people. We was meeting all sorts of musicians. My last day, my last Airbnb there. This dude had turned his garage into like a club, meaning like every night there was just millions of people there. All kinds of musicians came through. We was doing jam sessions. Like, you can't make this up. Like, I couldn't have planned that. And this was just a random Airbnb. And then I met Asher Gameze, who's the only other person on the Oracle. And that jam session y'all hear on there is me with him, like our first time meeting. We met through a mutual friend, and we met up. I was like, who, who can I meet in South Africa? We met up at a coffee shop, and he was like, you want to come through my spot, and let's play some music. And we did, and that's what you hear on the album. Like, that is, like, not planned. We just met. And from that, now he was on tour with me for the live album. And, and now he has his own albums out. It's like, I'd just be following the breadcrumbs, because... I just be living, I be doing extra, you know what, keyword, extra ordinary. It's extraordinary. And super, maybe it is some supernatural stuff. It is natural. And it's very ordinary. Like, I have, like, stories upon stories upon stories of things like that just happening in my life, just following the breadcrumbs. And it's fun. I'm having a good time doing it. I would say, I think that part of that is being open to those things. Because sometimes if your spirit isn't open to seeing those breadcrumbs, you're not going to follow them, if that makes sense. And I think you are a person who is extraordinarily open to follow. (laughs) (laughs) I am. There's no other way to be. It's like the thing is I always tell people, if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not. Like, if I'm not having a good time, mm-mm. <laughs> I can't do it. Any- you know, And but the thing is, the things that I consider fun, somebody may not consider fun. I'm a nerd. I'm an information geek. Like, that stuff is fun for me. You know, like, finding out about new things, learning a new topic, learning a new thing, or, you know, learning about business. You know, checking my emails and being about my business, that's not no hard thing for me. That's fun. I I like that. 
I worked in retail for a very long time. There's a lot of business skills I picked up. I learned. I was always a manager. I learned how to deal with money. And I'm like, dang, I learned all the business things that I need so that when I'm really full-time a creative right now, I know all that stuff. And so it's like a breeze. I'm like, that's why all them years I was in retail. I gained so much knowledge. I know how to run a business from that. So tell me about this new project. I know you actually have a few different things popping off, but the latest record with International Anthem, do you feel as though it's building upon what you've been working on? Because I feel like everything you do is sort of like, like you said, like a new iteration of what you're doing. Yeah. Yes, this live album is like, so the Oracle was just me by myself. Okay, but the songs on the Oracle they shift and change when you get different people on it. And that was always the purpose. Like I never really was trying to put out a solo album. You know, all the songs on there were eventually supposed to be played with an ensemble. And so when I went on tour, that's what we did. And it was amazing. It was like, and then everyone in the ensemble, the brotherhood, all of them, Adam Zanellini, Christian Espinoza, Norman W. Long, Julian Otis, a.k.a. Deacon, Otis Smith, Victor. I told you all my experience with Victor. All these people I have deep relationships with. Like, they're my best friends, you know? And so, like, when you get on stage, Asher just so happened to be available because he wasn't, you know, he lives in South Africa. But he he was working on his label, so he's like, I'm going to be in London around that time anyway. I'm like, Perfect. So it's just like everything worked out for all of my best friends to come with me on tour and us go on an adventure of a lifetime in Europe and wade through Europe as black people coming to Europe. Now, I've been to Europe before. Some people, it was their first time. And as black people who've mostly lived in the United States and we go to Europe, and if you're open, like you're going to be more sensitive to that. It made it a mission. It's like some things are going to have to change here, like the way the music industry is. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to start talking about those elephants in the room that I feel that trigger me. And I'm feeling it. And there's going to be no more pretending. You know, I get that from Philip Armstrong, who's the vocal director of Black Monument Ensemble, the the other band I'm in (laughs) on International Anthem. You know, but he always says no more pretending. We're not going to pretend anymore like everything's okay. It's not okay. about that just I mean I know that a little bit of the story around the recording of this album it was recorded in in Europe and Victor had had some health issues and there was like some real situations before the recording of the album we all know him like Ayana all of us you know we all just love Victor he's like Victor's wonderful yeah Mm yeah yeah so like he got sick right before and, and he had missed his plight which would mean that he would either miss our first hit in Berlin or be late to the show. 
And Najee, you know Najee. He also was my tour manager. Najee Cersei, also amazing sound engineer. So you want to talk about like an ensemble just like you know, seven black men and a black woman, and we're, it was like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I felt like we was like, <laughs> we, we had a van. Um, but, you know, they hit Najee up on some, well, why didn't you tell us sooner? Da, 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 da. There was no, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, for real, it was none of that. I'm like, what's going on here? And y'all doing this to me like two hours before my show? When they started acting funky about that, I was like, at first, I felt bad. I was like, man, they're going to take it from my pay. I started doing that uh, thing that we do as black people where they were like, well, I don't want to ruffle no feathers. I started doing that. And I was just like, why did you do that? I'm like, what are these people giving you right now? I'm like, they ain't giving me a goddamn thing. So just to clarify, they were saying they were going to reduce the fee because Victor wasn't going to be at that mm-hmm. first hit, right? Yep. And it it was, and I told him he may actually be here. That's the thing about it. We just like his flight gets in like hella close to when we start, and that's the thing when you. But by the time we get on stage, I'm I've been brewing because I've been like, nah, these mm-mm, they ain't finna do this right now. So like I'm already in the mood of like I'm we finna go. I'm finna do all of this musically, and that's what I did. So by the time you get to the end of the album, I got I named the track Victorious Return. Spelt like Victor Ria's return because Victor actually made it. Right. He made it. And you hear him. He's like, he says, very good. We're like, boy, get up on this stage right now. He gets up on stage. And so the last part of the album is us just free jamming. The crazy thing is, there were so many people there in the audience. Like, Jamie Branch was there. And her whole band is like Luke Stewart, uh, Trey Cutup. They were all there. It was just like crazy, you know, um... Shannon uh, Effinger, who writes for the Washington Post, she's like my good friend now. She just she just so happened to be there. So it's like in that time when I was going through that thing, feeling that elephant in the room racism thing, I had like all this amazing support in the audience from my homies. And I kept listening to the recording over and over and over again. I was like, you know what? Let me just hit up Scotty and him and see what's up. They were like, hell yeah, this is hot. Let's put it out. Um, and then I told them the backstory about everything. And so they had hit up some German promoters. And them mugs was like, well, we don't want to ruffle feathers. And you know what that did to Scotty and David? That pissed them off a little bit. They were like, hold up, this angel's experience. What you talking about, Ruffled Feathers? And they, I think they got back to them. They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. What are we talking about? You know, I was like, yeah, y'all, we just got to tell the truth, you know? I still didn't get an apology from them. Not a real one. You know, they their PR person hit me up on some, and they didn't even say Angel about that weed. They said Angel Elmore. I'm like, y'all disrespectful. Mm, 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 mm. 
Y'all know y'all y'all put Angel Elmore for some legal ass shit. That was for some legal yeah. But to be clear, like Angel Bat that wait is your chosen name. That's my chosen. That's the name y'all booked me for. You know, and then they addressed this letter. Well, Angel, I wish you guys had told. I'm like, what you talking about? You wish it told me. Did you listen to the music? I said it all on the album. It showed me you didn't even listen to the music, which shows me that you're not thinking about the artist and what we are doing and why we are there. Because if you listen to the whole album, I call y'all out right there on stage. Y'all had ample opportunity to listen to the recording and hear what I said. They gave me an apology from their press person. Still no apology about that. I need a, a human phone call. You know what I mean? And so, like, if you're at that and then you look at it a year later, all right? A year later, everything's shut down. Ain't no festivals. And when things start to open up, if people think that it's going to go back to that old way like that, oh, you in for something different. Because now what we've been doing during this COVID time, us black creators, is we've really leveled up our skills. Meaning a lot of them little BS jobs that you have people doing, oh, we don't need y'all anymore. This whole game about to change. You're not about to open up these festivals again and think that things are going to go down that way. No, 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 we're not doing that no more. I have hope that things are going to be different. The only way that something can exist is if we get our hopes up. And I don't, that's the only way that black people have been existing is that we have a hope and a dream. Ain't that what Martin Luther King said? He had hope. He had hope that conditions could be better for us. And I have that hope too. And music is the best vehicle to express that in. It has always been like that for me. I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know if there's anything left to say after that one though. I mean, I feel like that was like a mic drop statement. Don't you? <laughs> I think so. 